uh, Thursday um, here on Radio 91 FM. Uh, I'm joined by Politics Department's uh, Vicky Spencer and Chris Rudd. Good morning, both of you. Good morning. Morning. Um, and you two are the course coordinators for the two uh, politics summer school papers. Um, one is called Power and Liberty and the other is uh, News Media and International Crises. Uh, I'll start with Power and Liberty, um, political theory. Uh, I'm a big fan. <laughs> what, does, what does this paper entail? Um, that's great to hear that you're a fan. Um, well, we take the concepts of freedom and power and we look at them through the history of political thought, going from Machiavelli yep. through to contemporary times in, with Foucault. So we start with a classic idea of Machiavelli's idea that everything is acceptable as long as you <laughs> stay in power. And we look at that in terms of some critiques in early modern thought, like um, think, French thinker Montesquieu, who also thought that people at the top, in fact, didn't have very much power, and that power indeed corrupts and makes despots aren't any happier than the people at the bottom often. Right. And we're really looking at the theme of power and fear and cruelty for the first couple of weeks in early modern thought. And then we go into more contemporary times mm. um, with Isaiah Berlin, who developed two concepts of freedom, which informs absolutely everyone's way of thinking about freedom today, even though most of us are unconscious about it. Yeah. And we look at famous... Um, ideas on liberty with John Stuart Mill, the classic liberal statement, mm. um, which is still a wonderful read. It's 19th century, but it still informs pretty much every liberal thinker that exists today, that particular text. And it's a very, very rich text that people are still debating about. And then we move into the um, 20th century with Hannah Arendt. Yeah. There's some people might have seen the movie on Arendt and the Eichmann trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's, in my view, one of the most interesting political philosophers of the 20th century. And she talks about both freedom and power. And it's interesting, if you look at the history that we go through, that everyone in the 17th and 18th centuries, 15th century, was talking about power. 19th century comes, everyone stops talking about power, starts talking about freedom, and then we see the actual combination of the two in the 20th, amongst 20th century thinkers. Mm. Um, and so Arendt does that and has really been very, very influential. Her ideas of, of power um, I find constantly challenging and just so thought-provoking. And then we go back to Nietzsche, and look at his world to, world to powers because of his influence on Foucault, who mm. we end with. Great, yeah, great end there. Um, is I, I guess there would be a criticism, uh, certainly not from me, uh, that um, especially, I guess, as universities change uh, and humanities is endangered possibly, uh, that theory doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Especially, uh, is there a, um, a particular thinker, uh, you, you mentioned Arendt, is there a particular thinker in, in there that you think is especially relevant for today? I think that they're all relevant today, and I think in the particular humanities crisis that theory is more important because critical thinking is important, 
and you can't have a rich understanding of politics unless you understand theory. Every politician talks about freedom, mm. but they don't mean the same thing. So it often may, you know, I often wonder how do people actually understand basic newspaper reports without actually a theoretical grounding and understanding about the different ways the terminology that we use and take for granted and what that actually means. So Machiavelli, for example, um, he was extremely important in Australia where I come from under the Howard era. Many people would say John Howard was the perfect Machiavellian thinker, but Machiavelli is thought still informs many political advisors because the objective of political parties is to stay in power. Yeah. So he's 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 That's one of the key. Few, <laughs> one, well he's one of the few political philosophers whose names actually in the dictionary. I mean Machiavellian actually means something. Yeah. Um, John Stuart Mill as I said um, informs every liberal thinker today whether they know it or not he, his his um, text is actually one of the strongest arguments I can think of for the importance of the humanities and critical thinking uh, Montesquieu who we look mm. at he developed the idea of the balance of powers or at least put it down in text for the first time was highly influential on the formation of the American system of balance of powers and given the recent election I think that idea of the balance of powers in the United States is particularly pertinent right at this time. Um, so it's not just the 20th century thinkers who I do think are very important. I mean Foucault influences mm so many different fields now yeah, yeah. Um, and Arendt is increasingly recognised as one of the most important yeah. Well she, she has, the, has the benefit of, of kind of stretching into popular non-fiction with uh, the Eichmann trial doesn't yes, she? Yeah. Yes and we'll be looking at sh some short sections of that Yeah as that, well as that's an amazing um, text to read uh, from a kind of yeah theoretical basis um, Yeah uh, Chris um, mm. so News media and uh, international crises, uh, what does that involve? Well, I suppose we sort of start out with the idea that uh, there's all these her horrible things going on overseas, there's wars, there's terrorist attacks, environmental mm. crises and whatever, and we only know about them here in, in New Zealand through the media. I mean, very few people are there first-hand for genocides and things like that, fortunately. So it sort of poses a question of, you know, is the media some kind of neutral, you know, mirror held up to reflect these events, or does it sort of, like, have a have a more sort of, uh, well, not sinister role to play, but, you know, it, is it sort of actively sort of, you know, pushing one sort of side or one angle on these stories? So the course sort of begins by saying, you know, is is the media the government's little helper in terms of a propaganda tool to sort of push the government's foreign policies. So you'd look at America and say, well, you know, the media's done a lot to help, you know, push the view of we had to invade Iraq or back in the 80s, you mm. know, Central America and so on. So first, you know, we just raised that question, you know, is it a, a propaganda tool? And here we'd come in with Herman and Chomsky and their, their ideas that, you know, yes, the, the media is not liberal, it's not free, it's not independent, it's just a tool of the government. But then we sort of move on to sort of a, and, and talk about this so-called CNN 
effect where you know you've heard this that yeah. you know pictures of dying kids and famines and and all those kinds of things has a kind of sort of emotional impact on the public and then they say to the government well what are you doing about this why aren't you stopping these horrible things going on in Rwanda or Somalia or Sudan so we sort of say well maybe it's not all one way it's not the the media is just sort of doing what the government wants maybe the media actually sort of has a kind of a soul and a heart <coughs> yeah. and sort of says oh you know <coughs> we'll show these pictures to the people in their front living rooms and of course you go back to Vietnam and say all those pictures of, of dying soldiers or, or the civilians and <coughs> so we look at that idea that maybe there is a CNN effect and having done all that, I then said to the students, but hey, we haven't talked about social media, you mm. know, because when Herman <laughs> yeah. Chomsky were talking in the 1980s, it exactly. wasn't social media. Yeah. And, and CNN effect, the very thing, CNN is, is a sort of a, a traditional uh, media. So I sort of say, well, what about social media? Maybe that bypasses all this, you know, if we think the corporate, privatised, commercialised media's sort of got this kind of uh, agenda, maybe we can bypass that with the social media. So obviously the Arab Spring is, mm. is sort of like one thing we look at and I've got to admit I'm a bit of a, a cyber pessimist I don't actually think the social media has got that kind of mm. independent influence but it, it's something we should explore because obviously you do see pictures which do bypass the traditional media you do have you know citizens journalists saying kinds of things which maybe wouldn't appear in the traditional media so I think it's worth exploring so we go through the, the Arab Spring and I was really going to leave the course at that and then, you know, Brexit happened and I thought, you know, everybody's talking about, is that an international crisis? Well, <laughs> I mean, personally, I think it's good that Britain's got out of uh, the EU, but for some people it is a bit of an international crisis and everybody said, oh, the media were very, you know, wanted to get out, we're in favour of the, the, the leave. So I thought, well, we'll finish off by saying to students, look, you know, I've no sort of evidence one way on this, you go away and come back and let's sort of see what mm. role did the media play in, in Brexit. I mean, I was going to sort of think Trump is maybe a sort of an international crisis, but I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm not sure we've maybe put off American students or maybe attract <laughs> American students, but maybe we'll actually bring that in and just sort of say, you know, again, what role did the mm. media play? I mean, I'm sure it will definitely come up. Well, <laughs> yeah. somebody said, you know, the media in America was Trump's best uh, well, ally because they, they attacked him and ridiculed him, but they kept him in the in the public's yeah, mind, yeah. it's it was it was amazing. This there's I, it seems like, and especially with the ascension of social media, that there's a mistrust in the so-called mainstream media. Is that is that a recent thing? Do you think, or has that always been around? I think it's it's more recent. I mean, I don't think there's been that distrust and cynicism towards the traditional media. Uh, the media. I don't think it's been so so uh, well entrenched as it is now. I mean, when they're asking that uh, that Reader's Digest most uh, untrust uh, trustworthy profession, journalists are something like fifty-seven out mm. of sixty. I mean, they're really down there with with. Uh, as real estate agents as the most distrusted <laughs> people yep. so I think now they're, they're, there's a bit of cynicism towards them but I think what scares me I mean maybe moving off what the course is about per se is the fact that even though people seem to distrust journalists and are cynical towards the media they're just totally absorbed in it I mean they're just following it 24-7 yeah. and it's almost like they're saying oh but I don't believe any of this but yeah there's that yeah there's yeah. that weird kind of knowing um so, in terms of international crises, uh, 
is it is it a reflection is is, is it a mediation of the event of the international crises um, that the the media um, communicates or is it something else does it does it have anything I'm, I'm thinking about um, Bolgiard because I've just done <laughs> a, a semester of uh, looking at him I mean does does the mediation have nothing to do with the international crises well, I don't think it has anything to do in the sense of, of, of being a cause of, of international crises, but I think it's we, we refer to it as mediatization. The mm. media does something with the event. Yeah. And first of all, I mean, they pick the events. I mean, a, a, every day there'll be disasters going on and wars, and, and somebody comes along and says, we're going to pick these, yeah. and we pick them because it's uh, we think it's appealing to audiences. So I think the media is an active participant participant in sort of you know creating the stories and I suppose the course is really trying to say is is it systematically biased in favor of the wealthy the rich the powerful the, the countries of the West or is it sort of you know much more random in that you know it might sometimes pick up stories and actually you know hold up that the UN isn't actually doing its job or the US is being a bit sort of in its dirty wars and what have you and people might say you know why isn't the West getting involved in Syria more you know what in, in the past they were quite happy to get into Iraq mm. but you know it seems something about Syria and you sort of say well why is that you know is it because of Russia or China yeah. or something like that or a CNN effect well yeah, yeah and I, I suppose I could ask the students is there a CNN effect in Syria and and you know get them to go out and say well yes or no and if there isn't you know why not so I mean I don't have any answers for all this and and, <laughs> yeah. and certainly with social media I'm a person who struggles with my mobile phone so I'm, <laughs> I'm not the best but I think you know get the students out there mm. and if I could just go back to something when you were talking to Vicky here about theory I mean I think it's a sort of a misleading thing to say that you know in polls or whatever we offer all theory courses I mean I think we try and say theory is you know, necessary in order to practice. In other words, as Vicky was saying, if you're going to judge politicians, that's applying the theory, but you've got to have the theory in the first place. So, you know, in my course as well, you know, I'll give them theory, but I'll say it's no good just having these theories and then leaving it that. You've got to go out and look at the real world and, and try and apply them. And I think in Paul's department, that's what yeah. we try to do. No, 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 you do. I, I, I have experienced that. Vicky, <laughs> uh, is. Uh, are th are liberal idealists a dying breed, or, <laughs> or or is the world just full of Machiavellians and um, I guess um, amoral capitalists? Ah, uh, um, easy question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a very easy one for this time in the morning. Um, well, I don't think that liberal idealists are a dying breed. And I think the number of people crying after the U.S. election <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at Democrat convention um, meetings and so on, that is evidence of that. I think that liberalism is very much alive. Um, in terms of um, capitalism, though, I don't think that... Not that we can get into this, into this course, but I don't think liberalism... Uh, and liberal idealism and capitalism are two different things, mutually exclusive. I think, in fact, liberalism and capitalism have gone hand to hand, right. at least, you know, certainly in practice. Yeah. If often the idealists don't actually recognise that. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, there's still many Machiavellians. Yeah. 
I mean, we're diverse, we're plural. This is one of the great points, I think, about a rent, um, is actually that is not about dominating and eliminating one or the other, that it's a, it's a fact about you know learning to be fine with that diversity and that pluralism is actually a hallmark of human mm. human um, condition. So I think we will always have Machiavellians and I think we will always have idealists and some people are, are both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's true. And Ar- if you go back to Aristotle, I mean, practical wisdom was one of his virtues. So it's not just about justice, it's about, and this I think is the great thing about political theory, is that is actually trying to bring together the ideals mm. with the practical knowledge of how to do things in the world. And that really is the ultimate aim of political theory. It's not, you know, being just an idealist and sitting in a room and working out the perfect system. (laughs) It's actually about working with the messiness of what the world is. Totally. Okay. Um, We'll leave it there. Uh, So these papers, when does summer school start? Um, 8th of January. 8th of of January. These papers have no exams. Sometimes people want to know that. and uh yeah uh you're uh chris you're lecturing yours but uh i noticed you've got a an assistant with you spent uh vicky yes i've got sam mcchesney yes he's who used to work over at critic he did yes yes um he's been doing editing journalism work for the last couple of years Mm. but he's um when he was a student here he was one of the top that for his <laughs> dissertation he got the top mark ever that we've ever given and he's coming he's come back to yeah. to a master's by research and with the view that he's hoping to be able to go off and study for a doctorate in Europe at some point um, so we're really lucky to actually have him here That's and great. we've been working on the course together so it's very much um, a combined a combined effort. Yeah. Is there anything else anyone wanted to mention before we? No. Let's just hope it's nice weather during the summer. Yeah, I, I love summer school. I mean, it's not just because of the length of it. Um, I guess it, that factors in. You can focus on one thing. I mean, I'd love to be able to do one of these papers. Um, well, f- feel free to sit in. I'll, <laughs> I'll ignore that you haven't enrolled. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, I'm sure it will be lovely weather, and you know y- you can you can just focus on on the the topics at hand uh, and uh, get your get your uh, your points towards your degree um, before the first semester even starts. Uh, thank-